The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Heads, stop escalating your privilege level and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Rory Blight. This is Jeff Maciolik here to announce show number 78 with guest Don Kiley, recorded live Friday, August 27th. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter, and now offering hands-on VBNet and ASP.NET classes remotely, online at www.franklins.net, and by Data Dynamics, makers of ActorReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications, online at www.datadynamics.com. And by Dundas Chart, advanced technology, advanced results, online at www.dunduschart.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, Microsoft Technologies in-depth for IT managers and developers, online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who just loves giving away tablet PCs to programmers from Prior Lake, Michigan, Carl Franklin. Yeah! Except it's Prior Lake, Minnesota, Michigan, Minnesota, same deal, and our winner is Bill Balchak. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Let's find out. We'll get him on the phone. Bill, congratulations. We'll be calling you in a minute to see how you're taking the news, and uh, while we're doing that, I'm going to introduce my friend, my partner in crime out there in Portland, Mr. Rory. Hey, what's up? Blythe. Hey, what's up, Carl? What's happening? We finally well, did not it. not a whole lot. We finally did it. Yeah, we finally gave the thing away, um, which done. means that my sister's going to be really upset since I wasn't able to rig the contest so she would win. Yeah. Well, That's what she wanted me to do, but these I things happen. So many people, we accepted bribery. I mean, that offered bribes. Uh, <laughs> we, yeah. we just couldn't keep it all in our, pa- our pocket. I mean, we just couldn't take them <laughs> because that would have been wrong. So uh, so while, oh, uh, while Jeff gets Bill on the phone, we'll uh, let's listen to, to, to hear how uh, your week was. How'd it go this week? What's you up to? Well, the week went pretty well. Um, I uh, I did my first solo MSDN event yesterday in Portland, and that was pretty exciting. I presented in Tacoma with Bill Steele. He was out for some training up in Redmond, and he came down just to lend me one one small last bit of help. Uh, so he co-presented with me on Tuesday, and things went pretty well. But but yesterday was the most exciting thing for me, just because it, it was my first solo event, and it it was a little rocky at first just because I was a bit nervous, but uh, by the end of it, I think it, I think it went pretty well. So I'm, I'm totally excited. My voice is raw, though, from having a sore throat and doing the events. Yeah, it sounds but, it. Uh, yeah, but aside from that, I'd say things are going pretty pretty swimmingly. But I ate some ice cream about an hour ago. I ate a big, huge bowl of ice cream. I don't know why. <laughs> like I just finished off this last bit of, of chocolate mint chip ice cream, oh, and now I have that sugar low that you get when yeah. you've had way too much sugar and nothing else in the day. So 
I'm kind of feeling like passing out and I'm sort of rambling a bit, but yeah, I feel good, you know. <laughs> it's okay. Um, and you know, I, I, I said you just a few moments ago because somebody in the uh, chat room suggested that we give away inflatable Rory's as a consolation prize for not winning the tablet. Um, Actually, I would say the, that you give away yeah. tap. You would give away tablets as the consolation prize for not winning an inflatable Rory. <laughs> is my oh opinion, man, but. is that how it goes? Actually, we are going <laughs> to at some t- some point in time with enough uh, coercion, we are going to make a Rory Blythe and Carl Franklin bobblehead doll, and uh, we'll be giving yeah. those away. But uh, in the meantime, we have lunchboxes, Dotnet Rocks lunchboxes, and uh, those are the swag. So uh, anyway, um, oh wait, wait, wait! I've got news! I've got news! I've got news! Yeah, yeah, okay. I've got news! I've got news, Carl! I got it! I got news! I got to tell you. This is big news. This okay. is big stuff. Okay. Let's hear it. This week, I figured out a use for data sets. Congratulations, man. <laughs> How many years have <laughs> they been out much. now? It's like three <laughs> years later, you've discovered data sets. Awesome. Well, no, I'm excited because it goes even a little bit beyond finding a use for data sets. And you know how I felt about data sets before, and you probably especially know how I felt about exposing data sets at the yeah. end of web services. Yeah, yeah. But it makes it especially sweet that not only have I found a use for data sets, but I have found a use for data sets exposed at the end of web services. Really? So what yeah. are they? And it is, it's for consumption infopath, and that's all. I just wanted to say that because I was hoping that one day I would find a use for them, and it finally came along, and I'm pretty happy about that. So anyway, you know, that, that's, that's been my week. That's, that's what I'm taking away from it. So what's going oh, on with you? That's awesome. Well, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to just tell everybody that, you know, the Google weirdos dry has, uh, well, has sort of run dry. And, uh, and it's probably the case this week, too, right, Rory? There's just not much there. Um, I didn't even have time to check, to be honest with you. This, well, was, this was the recently, busiest week yeah. that I've had so far. You've been checking yeah, recently, um, and it's I just not, last a lot of, week. not a lot of people, uh, you know, landing on your site from Google. So, so we're instituting a new bit tonight, two new bits tonight, but a new Rory bit tonight. Uh, and we're not starting it tonight, but we're just putting out a call for action. And uh, why, don't you, uh, why don't you introduce the bit, Rory? Okay, the bit is going to be called Ask Rory. And the deal is you can send in questions about anything, right? If you're having a personal problem, I'm, I'm pretty sensitive and I'd like to help you out with that. If you're having a problem with the romance um, as a guy who <laughs> broke up, who who broke up with his girlfriend a month and a half ago, and then got a dog with her and moved out with her and remained broken up, I like to think that I know a thing or two about relationships, and I can give you advice along those lines. Um, if you're having a problem with math or you know with cooking or anything, you can send me a question. All right, and and the email address at which you're going to do this is just Rory at neopolion dot com. N e o p o l e o n dot com, which is of course my blog. It's an ice cream flavor. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Rory well, kind of. And you just send that in, and if I pick your question, then we'll probably give you some stupid crap prize or something. But what's exciting <laughs> is we will uh, read your question on the air, and I will give you a super duper professional, clean. Uh, nice response. Something that will allow you to solve your problems. Sterilized that's, that's by Microsoft. The kind of guy I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get out For the Microsoft spray and. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. So, and uh, also a new bit tonight uh, with, from a local guy who uh, stopped by, uh, Kirk Webb. Kirk, say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. And uh, why don't you say what you were saying to to test your microphone before? which I thought was a nice way to introduce yourself. Spank me. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, we'll be, hearing from, we'll be hearing from Kirk a little bit later with a bit we call uh, the Weird Wide Web. But until then, let's, uh, let's just get on with it. So while Jeff tries to reach uh, uh, our winner, 
let's uh we're not going to read any mail just for uh time constraints so let's uh you know get right to the news So what's up in Newsland this week, Rory? All right. So the first thing that seems to be making the rounds is uh, that Longhorn, we've got a release date for the client, or at least a a release year, which is (laughs) something. Um, It looks like it's going to be released, the client side anyway, in 2006. That's the goal. The sad part of this is the downside is that um, it looks like we're going to be releasing WinFS as a separate uh, download, but it's going to be available for beta at the time that Longhorn has released uh, RTM. So that's going to be cool. Um, the link to the article talking about this is shrinkster.com slash EX. So that's some pretty cool stuff. Also, also in the, also in the article is that some of the Longhorn technologies are going to be released for use on Windows 2003 and Windows XP, which is pretty cool. We already knew that Indigo was going to wind up on these platforms, but uh, there is some talk of Avalon winding up on these platforms too, which would be awesome. Uh, although, of course, there is plenty of time for that to change, but that is what we were seeing in the press release today, which is sweet. From what I heard, from what I understand, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Rory, but I guess that uh, this whole Service Pack 2 security problem was such a big problem that they sort of all focused on that, sort of, uh, you know, pushing the schedule. Well, yeah, that's bit. true, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, they were, we, well, I guess we were pretty much waiting to finish up with Service Pack 2 before, seems so weird uh, hearing you before say we, we really worried about Longhorn. <laughs> you know, it feels weird saying it, but I'm getting used to it. I've been saying it at the <laughs> MSDN events this week, and I'm, I'm learning to do it. I catch myself when I don't do it, and I'm learning to do it. I know that everybody who joins Microsoft has this uh, issue. Okay, so the next bit of news, um, this is an announcement kind of along the same lines, and it's not Longhorn, but it has to do with SP2. Uh, Microsoft has officially announced Tablet PC 2005. Wow. Which is awesome. So that's going to be included now as part Just of the two and away the URL for that announcement. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> so, uh, well, no, but Tablet PC 2005 is a free download. It's a free upgrade oh, to okay. the Tablet PC all operating right. system. Okay. And it has all kinds of really slick stuff. It, it, it makes the Tablet PC a hell of a lot more usable. Like, uh, you're going to be able to click on a text box, or I guess tap on a text box, and there will be a little orange box next to that. You click that orange box, and an input panel will appear just below the text box. So um, that's just one of the many, many features uh, that we're going to have in there. I think there's also some better handwriting recognition. The URL for that announcement is shrinkster.com slash F3. So that's exciting stuff. I've been waiting for this ever since I first tried, uh, ever since I first tried the product in some beta or alpha form on Scoble's tablet a few months ago in Washington. That was pretty sweet stuff. It really is a lot better for input. So the next cool little bit of news is that there's a new social network. And I don't usually get excited about these because they just turn into popularity contests. Right. But this is one where if you try to turn it into a popularity contest, it would actually be really irritating. It's called Dodgeball. And it's at www.dodgeball.com. And the, the deal here is that you can network with your real friends, not just like uh, people who you've agreed to you know, say are your friends so that you can get higher numbers in the popularity <laughs> race, but your real friends. And what'll happen is when you're going out on like Friday or Saturday night or whenever your weekend happens to be, it's different for different people. You can enter where it is that you're going into dodgeball and, and your friends with their cell phones can query dodgeball to find out where you are that night. So oh, if you're wow. all going out, you know, to different restaurants, you can eventually 
just meet up with each other without even having to call each other. And I think that's awesome. I think that's so cool. So They're like uh, automatic, so that's automatic cool Big Brother software. It's kind of neat. I like. It. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but it's opt-in. <laughs> Little brother. Big Brother was not so much an opt-in kind of thing, right? <laughs> 1984 was not an opt-in scenario. That's true. <laughs> um, finally, uh, there's this article that was put out by uh, John Dvorak in which he totally just tries to trash Microsoft Office. Um, the title to this article is Kill Microsoft Word. The link to it is mm. shrinkster.com slash F4. And he says some things that are just really infuriating in here. Um, I think I'm he has start a drinking with a problem, paragraph. He? he says, <laughs> I don't know. All right, that he was a joke. Saying, All right, please, wait a minute, wait a minute. That was a joke. Yeah. Don't, please don't <laughs> sue me. <laughs> Don't sue us, yeah. Um, he starts out by saying, My irritation with Word began last year when we were finishing online, the book for Prentice Hall. The editing required a lot of markups using Word, since the publisher seemed enamored with Word's markup capability, mm. whereby you can track changes. This was great, except that between the various versions of Windows and a couple of Mac versions, blah, 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 used by the authors and editors, we had a huge mess. Well, that's not really like Word's problem, in my opinion. I mean, I guess it is to a certain extent, but that's not a reason to kill Word. Right, he kind of goes through, and he just has all these reasons that aren't really worthy of killing word. Here's another one. Um, let me start out with a couple of my current complaints. My hmm. biggest annoyance with the current version is that it keeps reinstalling features, which requires me to reinsert the master disk over and over. Yeah, I'm not sure annoying. if this is a trick to check with Microsoft's database to make sure I'm a registered user of the program, or if it's just stupid. Um, I haven't actually had that problem on any install of Office 2003 that I've used. I'm not saying that he isn't having it, I've but had I it. am saying that I might be a little bit more skilled. Oh, you have had that? Oh, sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it happens. Huh, I did not know that. I have, huh? I have yeah, yet to experience that. It's when you want, when you want some of the more advanced in, features, uh, in, in you know. Okay. Yeah. They don't all get installed. Okay. Well, anyway, what what happens is uh, he's just kind of going nuts about it. He doesn't seem to realize that that's what's going on, suggesting that Microsoft is, you know, tricking him into doing this so that we can keep track of him and and ah. his usage. And the whole article is one big long bitch fest. And so today, okay. I'm giving John C. Dvorak the shove it up your ass, you whiny, overrated, blowhard diva who wasn't happy unless he's telling us to change our word processing software, keyboard layouts, and just plain can't type and install software properly or shut the fuck up award. So that's going to John C. Dvorak tonight. Um, I've kind of had enough oh, of him, you know? man. He can't get I used to QWERTY, say, so he's got to come out with a whole new keyboard layout. I hope we I mean, wasn't in that sentence. He, that was a Rory thing, right? Let's <laughs> just be clear. The, well, about yeah, it. It's the official, yeah, the, the award is awarded by me personally. Um, it's not on behalf of Microsoft or .NET Rocks or Carl Franklin wow. or Jeff Maciolik or any of the other people involved with .NET Rocks. I just, I just can't stand this guy. I'm, I'm almost certain that the Dvorak keyboard layout was designed so that he could type the words I hate a lot easier or, you know, just, I, I think they're just, the keys are situated better for bitching. That guy really pisses me off sometimes. Wow. But anyway... That's the news for the week, and I'm feeling a lot better now. So, yeah, me too. <laughs> Woo. Now obey. So it turns out Jeff got Bill on the phone. Bill, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. So, awesome. Good day to be alive. Bill, how do you pronounce your last name? Balziak. Balziak, B-A-L-C-Z-I-A-K. Okay. That's correct. Yeah, well, congratulations. You are the winner of the Tablet PC Contest. By the way, we had nearly 6,000 entries. <sighs> You've got to be kidding. Well, that's wonderful wow. news. Thank you. Excellent. So uh, what do you plan to do with it? 
Well, you know, I think I am going to learn about tablet PC technology in a hurry. I've always wanted one, and uh, I I have no idea right now what I'm going to do with it. That's excellent. Well, wear it out, I think. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, I have the I have one of these, and and they're great check magnets, uh, (laughs) whether you like it or not. You know. Well, I'll have to talk to my wife about that first, but I'll give that a try. Well, my wife was the first check who wanted one. Actually, she she was the biggest magnet. I was, you know, whatever. Yeah, so anyway, uh, I'm sure you're going to love it, and uh, thanks for playing the contest and and entering, and uh, thanks to everybody who uh, gave us an entry and gave us some of their information. It was really helpful, and Microsoft thanks you, and I thank you. And again, Bill, congratulations. Thank Um, you. Great show. I really appreciate it. Awesome. We'll see you. Bye-bye. That just feels good. I wish I could give away a tablet PC every day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and by the way, for everybody who didn't win the tablet PC, that one's probably going to be up on eBay pretty soon, so you can get it discounted. Right. <laughs> we also had about 10 runner-ups. We picked 10 runner-ups uh, and made sure that they didn't have duplicate entries and they weren't scamming us and fake, you know, that their email was valid. And then we picked... Uh, <laughs> Dan, just, uh, his face just went blank. Uh, and then we picked out of them those 10 tonight. So for the 10 runner-ups, we have uh, .NET Rocks lunchboxes as uh, sort of booby prizes. And uh, I know it's not a tablet PC, but you guys uh, were sitting on the edges of your seat tonight, and I appreciate it. Wow. What an intro to a, you know, as to long, a show. I was going to say, as long as we're talking about um, these prizes and stuff, I just wanted to say that you remember Bill, the guy who won our Tech Ed ticket? He was at my Tacoma show on Tuesday. Oh, no kidding. So that was pretty cool, like running into him. Yeah, and he won a big, really sweet MSDN backpack at the end of it, too. So I asked him to start buying my lottery tickets for me because it seems like he probably wins everything. You know, but, he said yeah, that. Yeah, it was pretty cool seeing him show up. He said that at Tech Ed, that he wins contests, like, all the time. <laughs> Something yeah. about, I don't know what it was. I mean, he was picked randomly from by us, and it's just strange. Yeah, this guy's a uh, good yeah, luck. so that was cool. We'll hang out at the casino with that guy. So uh, I guess we should get to the .NET portion of this show, uh, you know, as we regrettably do every time. We just would rather sit around and have fun. (laughs) And uh, we're going to introduce the guest, who is Don Kiley. I'm really, really glad that Don could join us. We've been, uh, you know, trying to hook up our schedules for a little while, and he was on the on the uh, the the show, the roundtable show, you know, the the speakers lounge show, and we had a roundtable show before, and he's been on, sort of lurking in the background. But now we get a chance to talk to him. For and by the way, Don's just a brilliant guy. He's an MVP, uh, MCSD, MSDE, is a senior technology consultant specializing in developing desktop and web apps, and the those that integrate databases in Microsoft Office. And related technologies. He's a whiz at SQL Server and VB and ASP.NET and XML. He's written uh, several books, including Visual Basic and Visual Basic 6 Client Server How To and Visual Basic Programmer's Guide to the Windows Registry. It's something that I like to read when I'm, go- when I'm going to the bathroom. And uh, he writes regularly for <laughs> many industry journals, including Information Week, IEEE Computer Magazine, VisualStudio.net or VBPJ, and many other magazines. And uh, he trains developers also and speaks regularly at industry conferences, including TechEd, VS Live, Dev Connections, which, as you know, I have a personal affiliation with, and others. And, uh, you know, what can we say? Don, I'm, I'm glad to have you on the show tonight talking about security because I think it's a timely topic and you're just the guy to do it. Welcome. Well, great. Thanks. It's great to be here. And I, I, I am just so proud that my stuff is, is worthwhile bathroom reading material. Yeah, do you like that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's do that just for you. 
<laughs> and where are you calling from tonight, Don? I am in Fairbanks, Alaska, where I live. Great. So, so I'm, uh, yeah, up in pretty close to the geographic center of the state. Is it, uh, what's the weather like out there tonight? Uh, smoky. Is it, We've is, had um, the worst fire season of anyone's memory. Uh, burned more acres. We're up to something like uh, 5 million something acres. And uh, it's just been incredibly smoky. Don, the last time you were on the show, it was burning. Has yeah, we had, we had a lull of about two or three weeks, uh, during most of which I was in Southern California, and then they roared back. No we, typically, this is our rainy season. It should be pouring rain right now, but uh, it's been dry. Wow. So, yeah. So, But otherwise, it's been, uh, we've also had a lot of weather in the 80s and 90s. Well, Don, let me introduce you to the people who are around here. Uh, in Rory, of course, is in Portland. Hey, Rory. Uh, what's up? And uh, with me in the studio is Kirk Webb. Nice to meet you. Hey, Kirk. He's still a little microphone shy. He doesn't know quite what to say. The only thing he could say was... Uh, spank me. Spank me. That was That's his <laughs> mantra tonight. I don't know. He'll have to work that into the theme yeah. somehow. He'll loosen up a bit, I'm sure. And Arthur Jelly from theday.com is here. And also Dan Crawla, who's uh, a big fan of the show and has sent us some great emails. And he lives right up the street, so he just uh, came down to have a beer and hang out. Cool. So if you hear any... Extraneous laughing during your while you're talking. It's not you. They're they're both uh, trying to one up each other with weird websites right now. So and oh, okay. trying so not I won't to worry laugh. that I'm actually being funny. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah, they're just re- <laughs> rest assured they're not listening to you at all. So <laughs> okay. Well, I hope, hopefully I'll hear the, the, the sound of glasses clinking together too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. All right, go ahead. There you go. So um, security is a topic I hate, and the only reason I hate it is because I'm a developer, and developers hate security. It's always like the last the last piece of the puzzle, you know, right before you ship. Oh, yeah, let's tighten this thing up. And, uh, and I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious because I do know a few things about security, but it is a timely topic because SP2 was just released, and, man, mixed results. I've, I've heard some, uh, some weird stories coming through about things not working, what what are your opinions of SP2? Well, it's 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 one of those painful things that that I think overall Microsoft is is making the right, doing the right things. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it's it's a problem because we've gotten so used to all of the feature rich applications, which require all these intercommunications and open ports and always on internet connections and uh, privileges to be able to do weird stuff both yeah. on your machine and and on the on the network, which makes it really easy and convenient. And, but that also opens everything up for, for attacks by, by various hackers and, and people who want to get at your system. So it's, it's security has always been a trade-off between being a user-friendly environment and something that uh, is, has to be open. And so Microsoft is having to pull back a lot of the features. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it was a tough choice and I applaud them for making it. Um, I also applaud them for publicizing it well in advance. Yeah, I mean, it, particularly as, as a developer, I have no excuse to be blindsided by, by people running my applications that are installing them. Rory, have you installed SP2 yet? I'm still running the release candidate on uh, one of my laptops, and I was waiting for the official announcement on Tablet PC 2005 before I was going to move it to my tablet. Mm. Um, so I've I've been uh, trying to get Windows Update to suck it down for me, but I haven't installed it yet. Okay, yeah, I haven't installed it either. I'm 
I'm sort of watching the regional directors and the MVPs and watching the emails fly and, and thinking I might want to wait a little bit. Um, I don't have well, any... I'm happy to report that, that I've installed it on, on one of my machines, um, and it is so far reasonably painless. It, it took forever, but yeah. uh, you know nothing has broken yet that I know of, but I haven't had it long enough to, to really have tried all my applications and all my configurations and use applications on that machine from my, my local network here and stuff. So I'm, I'm really, really concerned and worried, but oh well. Yeah. I, uh, I've heard uh, problems with Outlook, problems with XP sh- uh, in standby mode. People are having to use Hibernate mode, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. Actually, Hibernate works better than standby. And I, didn't even sure. know, I didn't even know about Hibernate until uh, somebody mentioned it today. But uh, instead of using standby, there's a, there's a, a box you can check off under your uh, power settings, and you can enable hibernating. And uh, when you do that, when you say turn off PC, there's in, you hover over standby and press shift, and it turns into hibernate. And I guess it's just a, a more efficient mode for Windows XP to go to sleep and come back. Maybe it uses more power, but, uh, but it, it certainly comes up faster, and it doesn't seem to make your XP go brain dead, which uh, sh- standby always did for me. It's actually just like uh, serializing your your instance of Windows. I mean, that's kind of wow. that's sort of what it's like. It just sort of stops and saves state, and then it actually shuts off. So when you turn yeah, it back on next time, it'll... Yeah, uh, power at all, where standby yeah. actually uses a little yeah, bit of power. Yeah, that's the difference, is that Hibernate actually doesn't use any power. And, uh, and so there is... It actually takes a little longer to start up, but you like if you're going on a long flight or something like that and you want to make sure you got some juice when you get to your rental car and you've got to flip your laptop open to see that MapQuest thing you did right before you left or something like that, you'll still have the power if you're using Hibernate, hopefully. Yeah. And of course, you suck down all the power off the laptop because you have to turn up the screen to full uh, brightness in order to see it in the bright sunshine. <laughs> Only in Alaska. <laughs> Unless you happen to land in the middle of the night because you had to take the cheap flight, but, uh, you know, true. whatever. <laughs> so it seems that you're uh, you're all about least privilege these days, and I know that uh, you know built into Longhorn supposedly is uh, you know it's all about least privilege. What is the least amount of privilege that I can have to use my computer effectively? And you know that said, Microsoft hasn't really developed software with that kind of uh, you know coming from that place before uh, before now. So. What do you, what, uh, is it possible to actually develop software and use SQL Server and use Visual Studio not running as an administrator? Is it actually possible? It is. It is. Um, it can be painful at times initially because, as you say, um, Windows really was not designed to allow this, which really strikes me as a little bit strange because Windows, for as long as I can remember, has had different levels of, of user privileges. You've always had at least right. users and administrators. So it's always had built into it this idea that there should be lesser privileged users. But hasn't it always just been an idea? <laughs> I mean, for yeah, developers well, yeah, anyway. Yeah, because we've all been running as administrator because you know there weren't all these attacks and there weren't right. the risks flying around. Right. So it really wasn't a, a problem until like, three or four years ago. Right. But uh, but you know, there, there's nothing really new about the concept of least privilege. That's been around since computer security were two words that were you know first put together. Yeah. Um, because there's always been that idea that that you want to grant the fewest number of privileges to a user. It really was initially developed as, as a concept for users, that if I don't need access to a server, I shouldn't have access to the server. 
whether I, I'm going to be malicious or, or um, if I, do, I delete something accidentally. Yeah. But it's now become critical because of all the sorts of attacks that we're seeing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It seems like, and I know I've tried it before. I mean, I tried, I tried just using my computer at home uh, as a power user instead of as an administrator, and I quickly found out that uh, you can't install many programs without being administrator so that so what I did was I made an administrator account or an account that had just a stupid name that was an administrator and I and I use run as to do all my installations and that seems to be working okay and I even got my family doing that and that seems to be working even with the firewall on it's sort of uh, I don't trust it running as an administrator especially XP which seems to just be a huge moving target right now um, my mother's using Windows 2000 purposely uh, I haven't upgraded her to XP just because I don't think she could deal with all the all the attention. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> right, right. But uh, hmm. is it is there something in is there is there anything inherently less secure about XP or is it just the fact that it's you know the current operating system? It's really that it's the current operating system. Um, it's yeah, you mean relative to Windows 2000? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think in general it's actually um, way more secure than than Windows uh, 2000. Um, because it, it, Microsoft started, it was really before their, their big push on trustworthy um, computing. Right. But they, they emphasized a lot of the uh, um, security features a lot more than they had in, in previous versions. Um, and part of it, actually, Windows XP Home Edition has some features where it actually can be more secure to create users without passwords. Um, the interesting thing about that is that technically those users are members of the administration group. But mm-hmm. it's a very limited form of that. They can't do various things across the local network. There's various limitations to it. So there are some scenarios that uh, that it, it can actually be more secure running Windows XP Home Edition um, without passwords. Rory, didn't you, user switching. Rory, don't you have a Windows XP Home Edition just for Clippy? <laughs> no, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any. I've never installed. I had XP Home on one machine, and I, I repaved it with Professional. I've never used XP Home. Oh, I thought yeah. For tech people, home kind of gets in your way too quickly. Yeah, yeah. and of course, on a laptop, um, professional is the only way to go because it has all the the connectivity and the various uh, traveling disconnected features. Rory, do you still run as administrator um, for development? I do, and I got reamed by a friend of mine just the other day for this. Uh, But the thing is, I've I'm one of these people. I've I have yet to encounter a situation where I've had a problem running as administrator while developing. Um, I've done a lot of ASP.NET stuff, and uh, I test everything I do. I test everything I do in in an environment where it's not running as administrator. So developing as an administrator, for me, is not such a big deal, because I'll test everything in VPC. Everything. I also, so, yeah, I also develop as administrator, but I'm interested to hear Don's uh, suggestions about, you know, first of all, what can go wrong when you develop as an administrator? Well, the biggest thing is is that there's really two reasons for, for not running as, as administrator. One is that you're more susceptible to attacks. Um, if somebody, if you're running some application and uh, a hacker gets a hold, of, hold of control of your machine, they can do a lot more, which is going to be a lot more important in, in corporate environments. Yeah. Um, but from a development standpoint, the, the problem is that it is just way too easy in or, that to build into the application some subtle dependencies upon uh, full trust permissions. 
they can be as, as straightforward as a lot of applications right to the uh, application directory. It's in, usually in SQL and program files, company name, application name. Uh-huh. And so that is a full trust kind of, of permission. You can't write to the program files by, under the user's account if you're a member of the user's group. Right. And the reason is, is because that's a great way for an attacker to, to in, insert some, some rogue code into your machine you can't write to by overriding the DLLs. You can't write to the root either. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Oh, yeah, there's all kinds of places where you can't write right. to. There's sections of the registry you can't write to. My documents, and, and so that's forth. <laughs> Yeah, my documents. Well, there's isolated storage. There's other drives. Like, yeah. I usually have a data drive that's, that's uh, some, other, some other partition or a, or a separate drive, and I just give you know, regular permissions to that so I can... I can access that in any yeah. any part of that drive and so forth. Um, but it's so it's it's really easy to to have these these dependencies that are hidden in your your code. And the problem with developing it as an as an administrator and then testing as a, a lesser privileged user is that you it's just like any other kind of testing. You have to make absolutely sure that you test your code and it goes through every conceivable uh, branch down through the code. All the logic through you, all of your your case statements, all your if statements, and so forth, and that's really really hard to do. Yes, yes. Um, and unfortunately, and there are tools to help you that that uh, will report lines of code that aren't actually run, so that becomes all the more important. But essentially, the time when you should be you should be finding out that there's problems is when you're writing it, writing the code and running it, because then you're a lot more likely to be running at every single one of those 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 branches, because Typically, we, we develop iteratively. So I'll write a, a general case um, switch or, or a select case uh, a block, and I'll put in a couple t- cases and, and test that, and then I'll add some as I add logic to it and so forth. So if I'm running that as a less, lesser privileged user, then I'm actually testing each of those paths through it, and I immediately see if there's a problem that I'm writing to my, to my program files directory. Right. Um, so let me ask you this. Uh, I know code access security is one of those areas that uh, many developers, you know, cringe at the thought of having to deal with. Right. Do you, by develop, by embracing this, you know, uh, mindset of developing with least privilege, do you automatically have to go there? No. Um, you have to pay attention to the permissions that your application requires. Okay. So this really is, is, always pretty important, where you have to know that, okay, I'm going to be reading from this directory, writing to that directory, I need access to this part of the registry, I need to uh, go across the network for, for database access and so forth. Those are protected resources that you have to access through your code. If you develop as full trust and if you deploy it as full trust, then you inherently get all of those permissions. Now, let me just do a quick tangent that keep in mind that that. Nothing about code access security will circumvent the underlying operating system privileges, yeah. permissions that you have. Right. Um, you still have to deal with those. That's a whole different kind of a topic. Um, but the, the problem is, is that as you're developing that code and working with code access security, you need to make sure that you, uh, your, that assembly, that method, has the permissions that it needs. And so there are ways of testing and making sure, doing things like declaratively saying in an assembly that I need these particular permissions to run, and then the right. common language runtime won't even load the assembly if those permissions are not available to that user. And then you have to gracefully degrade from, from that sort of thing. You know, that's a, a, a subtle feature that not a lot of people find uh, as 
a killer a killer feature but the way i put it into perspective to my students is like this you don't want to make an editor program for somebody and have them be entering data all day and then hit you know five o'clock oh time to go hit the save button and find out you don't have access to the disc correct you know that's not the time to find out so when they create the document that's when you say hey did you know that you have write only access or whatever you can't access this directory uh, you know, do you really want to do this right now? Right, right. Yeah, and that's so. a great example. Um, because as a practical matter, a system where the user can get to anywhere on the system not only is, is, has the problem with, with if an attacker gets control of your application and can do things, but it also it's a way of preventing the users from getting into trouble as well on their machine. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, you, 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 to answer your original question, you... you can stick your head in the ground, and depending on the kind of applications that you're writing, in a lot of cases, you can just go with the flow. And um, if you're careful to only write to someplace like My Documents or to isolated storage or to um, uh, various other locations that are, are, are safe, that you only write to um, the, the section of the registry, current user, not the local machine, things like that. Yeah. If you follow those kinds of guidelines, then you can pretty much stick your head in the sand and not have to do much as far as good act security goes. But in the case of a, of a general purpose text editor, like you say, then you need to um, be able to, to um, give more guidance. And what are, the, what are the kinds of problems that, like, first of all, what privilege should I be developing in Visual Studio.net with? A user, a power user? Should I create a special role that has a certain, like, debugger user permission? You know, what's the, what's the best practice for that? Okay. The best practice is, is to, to assign yourself only as a member of the users group. Now, there's a few caveats to that, that that I'll get into, but I, I do want to say that power user is not a least privilege um, uh, okay. user group. It is, it is, well, in a lot of circles, it's called admin light. It just removes a, a few um, fairly minor uh, privileges, but what it does, what the power users group is, is it's for le- what Microsoft calls legacy applications. Applications that were written for Win 9x that hmm. do things like write to the wrong parts of the registry, that, that oh. um, write to the program files directory, and so <laughs> forth. Um, that that applications would break if this was not available. Bad privilege. Bad privilege. Bad privilege. Yes. I did yeah. not know that. I didn't know that. That's actually kind of a cool little bit of trivia right there about power user. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that that I definitely see. You know, Microsoft puts it in some of the the. the Appropriate uh, knowledge base articles and stuff, but uh, yeah, a lot of people think that by going to Power User, they're safe, and they really are not. So, um, what do we have next? Hmm. Schmuck, uh, plebe. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, users are good enough. <laughs> my, my, Microsoft generally doesn't insult users quite to that level. Yeah. Um, so, w- what I found is is that the first thing to do is is just remove yourself from the administrative privileges. Go just to users. But before um, you do, to, but before you do that, <laughs> make sure you a either know the administrator password or b right. create another administrator account that you can get into. Because right, I'm definitely, definitely not giving a recipe here. There's, <laughs> you there's don't other things you need out. to do. <laughs> right. That wasn't a, about you, Don. That was just you know the listener. I can see just going off and doing that. Is this like the, the anytime you talk about changing the registry, you always have to say that disclaimer about the registry? Right. If you yeah, don't use the it. Registry, <laughs> don't use okay. it because it sucks. But if you do use it, <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, and then basically, when you do that, um, weird things are going to start happening. Um, 
you know, one of the things that, that you mentioned is that it's, it's virtually impossible to install applications. Um, you know, XCopy is, is a great concept, but even to write to the program files directory, if that's where you're XCopying to, you need a higher level of privileges. So virtually always you're going to need to, um, uh, to log in as an administrator to uh, install software because a lot of times it has to write to the registry. It has legitimate reasons for writing to, to protected areas. Um, and there are a lot of ways around that. And I'll, I'll be happy to talk about some of the, the many tricks and, and things that you can do and a few of the tools that I've, I've discovered. Um, but uh, uh, you know, you're going to very quickly find that you're going to go into the program files directory. That's my favorite because I'm always trying to go in there and delete a file or write a file or create something. And uh, you can't do it anymore. Um, so then you start looking at when you encounter a problem. You go into, say, the control panel to try and change something. Well, there's a lot of the control panel applets that will run, but in a lot of cases you have to, um, uh, you need some sort of heightened privileges in order to actually do anything within it. So a lot of options might be, might, might be turned off. So you need to figure out a way to uh, get around that kind of a problem. And I was really intrigued when Jeff Richter was on the show to find out that he was involved in writing the uh, secondary logon service. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool. That is cool. The, the problem is that while that is a real cool feature, and I'm really glad that they added it to Windows 2000, it's not well implemented as run as in the user interface. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times it's just not available. You can't go into the control panel and uh, right-click on, on uh, applets because run as doesn't show up there. One thing I will tell you is that, that if you right-click on something and you want to run it as an administrator, Yeah. Um, and it doesn't appear in the in the the menu. You might try um, right clicking and holding down the shift key, because there are certain types of of uh, special Windows links that they appear if you right click right shift click on it. Okay, so um, so that is is an option. Um, okay. But then there are times where you just need to run something as administrator. Right. Very installations, quickly. for example. What's that? Yeah, installations for installations example. or. Configuring something on the machine to like right. set uh, power options or um, uh, configure networking. Or two of my favorite, <laughs> the two biggest annoying limitations running as a user is I can't change the system time. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Because I'm one of these people that when I, I fly to the lower 48 and, and uh, you know, anywhere in the lower 48 is at least one hour ahead, I change the time zone. It's just the way I know a lot of people change right. the time. A lot of control panel applet things aren't there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you can't yeah. you can't right click a control panel applet and say run as. Right. You can't even if you have the time appearing in the uh, um, your uh, uh, system taskbar, you can't double click on it to change it. What what if there was like an admin key on the key, on the Windows keyboard and when you hold that down whatever you do you're running as that user you assign. And then, oh, you know, there's a tool that, that does the equivalent of that. That would be great. Would because, you know, yeah. the, Windows should be smart enough to figure out whether this command initiated from the keyboard and mouse or from another program, and it isn't currently, you know? Right. And if it, was that sm if it, was, if it had that smarts in it, then I, I bet a lot of this stuff could be uh, sidestepped. Anyway, you were going to say. Well, and, and there's actually a tool that... Uh, um, you know, a lot, lot of what I've learned about uh, um, least privilege and, and certainly a lot of the, the solutions that I've found are, um, are from uh, Aaron Margosis's uh, web blog. And I'll be happy to send you the... Uh, yeah, we'll put a link up. Sure. How do you spell Margosis? M-A-R-G-O-S-I-S. -S. 
fact, what I'll do is I'll August. post I'll post the uh, the link to the okay to the chat. Um, All right, maybe somebody will shrinkster it and give us a uh, shrinkster version. And uh, um, and it's one of the weblogs.asp.net. But uh, he's with uh, Microsoft. I don't know what group he's with. He's not with the Windows group, but he essentially uh, time or two a month does a fairly detailed article about different sorts of, of solutions to problems with, with running as the least privilege. Okay. Um, you very quickly find out that this is not for the uh, um, for te- technical lightweight. Yeah. This is definitely not something that I've set up. Well, I, I, when I was down in Southern California a few weeks ago, I, I rebuilt uh, my uh, uh, wicked stepmother's uh, computer with Windows XP. She's <laughs> Well, she's not. She's a delightful person, but all <laughs> mothers are wicked, right? Okay. Um, and uh, I didn't set her up with least privilege, just because Sue would just go absolutely bonkers having to deal with some of the stuff that you have to deal with. Right. So, um, but uh, there's a lot of technical information there. But one of the tools that Aaron has available um, in one of his more recent posts is Make Me Admin, and this is just a little command script. That what it does is it uh, um, temporarily for the the context of a single command window will log will add at add yourself to the administrator's group. Wow! And uh, open a command window for that, and then you can launch Explorer, and then you're actually running as an administrator. And that's so, not exploitable through scripts and stuff. Well, the idea of this is that there are just some things that you have to have administrative privileges. Right. Um, again, installing applications is, is kind of the, the quintessential example. Yeah. Um, but the idea here is that you want to do it for as short a time period as possible. Yes. So what I would do is, okay, I need to install this application. I run this Make Me Admin app application. I have to enter both my administrator password and my user password because it's actually logging in. It's essentially, well, I won't get into that. It's it's it requires both passwords. Oh, okay. And then you have a, a command window that you can run, which you're running under your privileges, as, yeah. you, as you, in my case, Don Kiley. But you've been temporarily added for that process. You've been added to the administrator's group. I think maybe someday we're going to get a foot pedal, you know, like you have in the yeah. games. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Wouldn't it be great? <laughs> Just have a foot pedal. You click the pedal. You run what you want to run. You're an admin. You lift your foot up. You're not an admin. Wouldn't that be awesome? Right. It would like, be. It would be like be. the overdrive switch on a... On a Maserati or something, you know? Well, we can talk a little bit about what they're planning with, with Longhorn a little bit later. Not that um, I've ever driven a Maserati or anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> My okay. are too big to drive one. Um, but, okay. uh, but, yeah, but the whole, whole point of this is, is that, you know, run-as just doesn't go far enough. But you also have problems where sometimes you have to do something that will modify things in your own profile. So if I log off of, of Don Kiley and I log on as, as administrator, which I actually would log on to a different account because everyone has changed the name of their administrator account, right? Sure. No longer administrator? To. You cool. have to do that. <laughs> you have to. Rename your administrator account. Make another account. Um, and in fact, if assuming you've done that, when if you do download the Make Me Admin, um, you will have to change the script to include that different name in it. Just, ah, okay. just be aware of that. Okay. But... Uh, um, so what I would do is I would I would log off and I'd um, as Don Kiley log back on as administrator. I would do whatever I need to do, but the problem is is that it changed those some settings just for the administrative user profile. Uh, Don. Yeah. Sorry, I have my friend uh, Arthur who's always looking for a scam, you know, and like an, uh, and I know what he's thinking right now. He's thinking Carl, and he has a Russian accent. He's from uh, Kiev, right? 
Yeah, okay. he's from Kiev. Carl, I have, I have answer. We're going to make millions of dollars. You're going to make admin pedal with MIDI, and you plug it in, and it <laughs> makes you admin. We sell for $49. We make millions. Cool. I know that's what you're thinking, buddy. <laughs> All right. Right. Sorry yeah. about that. <laughs> sorry. So, so yes, I'm sorry. Kiev, Kiev is in Ukraine, not Russia. I'm sorry. Ah. I'm so sorry. Anyway. Um, so we changed the, the user profile of the administrator. I would log off of administrator and log back on as Don Kylie, and the changes aren't there because it changed the wrong privilege. Right. So you get into this so catch-22 kind of a problem. So that's where make me um, admin is, is real nice. I'm going to download that. That's very cool. We'll we'll have a okay. link to that too. Okay. Now I'm particularly interested about the problems that you run into when developing, uh, you know, Windows Forms. Not so much of a problem. Web applications, big problem. Yeah. What are the kinds of security issues you run up against if you're, if you first of all, you have to be a member of debugger users as well as users, right? Correct. Correct. And that that was one of those things that when I was mentioning earlier, you just add yourself to users. Right. Um, if you're doing ASP.NET applications, you have to add yourself to debuggers. Um. And then also VS developers. The problem with ASP.NET applications is that assuming that you're developing it on the local machine and then deploying it, you're interacting with the server software on your um, local machine. And yeah. so server-type stuff, particularly IIS, is, is a protected sort of, sort of environment. Um, there is a white paper that Microsoft has. Um, it's uh, Developing Software in Visual Studio.net with Non-Administrative Privileges by Lars uh, Bergstrom. Um, came out uh, at the end of last year. That um, has kind of mind-numbing details about what you need to do in order to uh, uh, develop using um, .NET. So you want to wrap that into a 15-second soundbite for us? Sure, sure. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the biggest thing is, is, like you say, Windows Forms applications really is not a big problem. Right. Because you're dealing with the, the local machine. If you're going to do debugging, then you have to have permissions to uh, attach to the debugging process. Right. Um, and do things like that. Um, services. Uh, I'm sorry? You have to watch out with Windows services, things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, depending on where you're deploying to, if you're going to program files and all that. But this, the thing is, too, is, is that Visual Studio also kind of does a little bit of its own magic um, in order to support uh, the debug environment. So a lot of times okay. it's going to hang on to permissions and do things. And, and so you really need to, to test your applications um, as a developer outside of Visual Studio as well. Okay. Um, this is the thing. It's, I, I've not had a big problem with that, but it's, it, it is hanging on to different resources and doing some various things that, that you, a typical user running the application doesn't have. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, one of the other things to, to point out that I haven't mentioned yet that, that is described in, in that developing software in Visual Studio.net document um, is that uh, you may be faced with a situation of having to um, add additional um, permissions to yourself. And you have to do that through the local security policy, which is an administrative tool. Um, in most cases, that's going to require administrative privileges as well. So you can re either run that tool as run as or uh, you know, just log off as administrator because those are machine-wide. Mm. Um, but you can actually add yourself to some additional um, privileges. But uh, you can do things like... Uh, um, add yourself to um, log in as a batch job. That, that you don't want to do for your own um, user, but you may need to do that for your application. Um, the reason being is that one of the problems with running as the least privilege as a developer 
is that you can't create virtual directories. That's kind of critical for oh, yeah. that application. Absolutely. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's where we can, adding yourself to VS Developers helps. Um, and then you also have to, to kind of kind of do a couple things to, to be able to, to create new virtual directories on your local developer machine. So yeah, yeah so that's that's the, the two minute um, version of the thirty second sound right. So debugger users, VSNet users, uh, and what about SQL Server? Well, um, yeah, that depends on, on what you're needing to do. If it's on the local machine, then um, you should be able, well, you should be able to connect, um, but it depends on how SQL Server is, is set up as well. Um, unfortunately, in a lot of cases, um, <laughs> what was that? That was very stock. <laughs> That's nothing. That's nothing. Oh, great. Rory, why don't you, why don't you tell everybody why you haven't been talking for the last uh, 15 minutes? My dog took a huge shit on the carpet after farting for like ten minutes, and uh, I had to I had to go clean it up. And now he's at the door barking at some imaginary baddie. <sighs> well, I've, I've I've got my sweetie Carol here who's listening in, and uh, we banished the three dogs out to outside. So uh, did you hear that, Rory? <laughs> We don't have an outside, though. We live in the fourth level of our apartment building, and if I put him outside, he would fall. Send him to the third uh, level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get a rope. Right. i got to say, Roy, that, that uh, Carol and I just laughed and laughed and laughed at your blog about the uh, um, energy alternative energy for dogs <laughs> blog. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> That wasn't a joke, though. I was serious, man. I want to stick <laughs> yeah, a big window on my dog's head because we wouldn't have things like this happening. <laughs> the dog in the tank. Oh, man. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay. Ah, oh, man. Where were we? <laughs> I have a clue. All right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so if you go through that document, you don't need to do everything that's, that's listed in there. But uh, depending on the kind of applications that you're developing as well as the uh, um, environment, um, you may need to do some of that, some of these things. All right, Ted Neward's article is at shrinkster.com slash F5. Well, uh, it seems like a good enough place to stop for a, for a pause. Uh, you feeling okay, Don? <laughs> feeling great. <laughs> I just can't get back into security after the dog shit and the tank and all that. And <laughs> so, uh, well, it's, it's something that uh, um, between Carol and I, we have 27 dogs, so poop is something that uh, we deal with and talk about frequently. All right. So I, I, I feel your yeah. pain, Rory. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to play a song from the Franklin Brothers and uh, Rory Blythe, some original music. And uh, this one's called Mr. Running Light. And stick around. We'll catch you on the other side of the hour.
Hey, you know what? It's time. It's time to give some shout outs, some props to my friends out there at Data Dynamics. You know, I talk about datadynamicsactorreports.net as if it's the best software in the world, and, and I really love it, but you know, you got to hand it to this company. These guys are like the diehard sponsor of .NET Rocks. They love our show. They support us so that you know we can bring you the show in, in, every week and give away great prizes and, and make movies. And you know they give us so much and, and they support us. So we'd like you to do us a favor and go check out their stuff. Go to www.datadynamics.com. These guys are really all about community. They're about supporting efforts like .NET Rocks, and uh, and they deserve. Uh, some serious kudos for that. Not to mention that their software really rocks. ActReports.net is the solution for, you know, embedded reports. Somebody asked me um, this week, you know, that I say it's not enterprise reporting. What does that mean? Well, what it means is that, you know, like Crystal Reports Enterprise and SQL Reporting Services, they have a server where the reports are streamed from. And uh, as opposed to having the report in the application... You know, even if the application is being downloaded from a server, the report is still defined in the application and it's not centralized. Uh, so, you know, with click once and with auto deployment, you can get the same effect, but the report is still within the application. That said, it's much easier to develop that way because the report stays with the app. And you get all the features that you'd expect in a reporting engine, and you have a, a reporting surface that hosts. .NET controls, so you have all the graphs and charts and tools and buttons and everything that you need. Great stuff. Check it out. By the way, we still have some room in the September classes at franklins.net. Great stuff. ASP.net, VB.net, some advanced topics. Check it out, www.franklins.net. Now here's a uh, song by Rory Blythe. This is, uh, and I don't know why it's called this, but it's called Bitches. Let it go 
Good stuff, man. I love it. Love it every time I hear it. So uh, this is a point in the show where we're going to introduce a, uh, a new bit, a brand new bit. Don't know if we're going to do this every week, but uh, we're going to start this week. And uh, introducing Kirk Webb, who's going to bring you the Weird Wide Web. Utterly amazing. Horrible. Hey, Kirk. <laughs> I love that intro. That's fantastic. That's it really pretty is. cool. And it's only a few hours old, too, actually. Brand new. It's brand new. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having me. We've You're got welcome. some really uh, really cool sites, actually, today. Yeah, so you've, you've been surfing today, looking for some weirdness. I've been surfing. Um, first, I'd like to let everyone know that it is possible now to uh, get past life regression software delivered to your home. Get for what? Past life regression software delivered right to your home oh, for a low, low price of fourteen ninety five. You, de- <laughs> you do need audio. You do need audio, okay. and uh, this this site comes. Uh, the software comes highly recommended by uh, Danielle, the astrologer, and um, <laughs> Christine, the tarot card reader, <laughs> and uh, Josh in Kentucky. <laughs> He's great. Josh thinks it's a fabulous, uh, so fabulous is, product. Do you have a shrinkster URL? Uh, it or? is uh, www.astralware.com. Uh, that's A-S-T-R-A-L-W-A-R-E.com. Check, check this out here. Astralware.com. And, uh, Astralware. Astralware. It's, 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 uh, it's pretty intriguing looking. It's actually software version 2. They worked a lot of the bugs and kinks out of it now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're not picking up anybody else's past life. <laughs> hey, what's the uh, what's the URL again? What's the URL for this? Astralware at a s t r a l w a r e dot com. Oh, okay. Fantastic, fantastic. Let's software. just read a little. Do you believe in reincarnation? <laughs> do you believe it's possible that you've lived before? <laughs> do you believe that you were someone else? Now, most people oh, do not believe God. that it's all over when we die. <laughs> you've seen past life regression for only fourteen ninety five. Oh, this God. is disgusting. It's help for today's problems. You can search for your meeting and uh, meaning. It's got uh, therapeutic uh, benefits, of course. <laughs> I just is... want to know how software is going to do it for you. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing uh, wrong with I find with this more offensive than the clamp. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm still pretty scarred at the clamp. That was that's awesome. But uh, that's our first pick for the week. 
Um, next is um, actually <laughs> next. I'm still reading this is amazing. <laughs> okay, what's up? Next we have www.divorcenet.com. Um, no way. Yeah, it, it is possible. Uh, actually, since 1995, it is the net's largest divorce resource. Uh, you can. Uh, there's a nice big bright button at the top to start your divorce online now. It's. Um, oh my god. It's a t- fantastic website. Geez, so and, you um, thought the Vegas wedding was cheesy? <laughs> <laughs> now you can bring it all for a full oh, circle man. and get divorced online. It's 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 pretty sweet. Only for 250 bucks, uh, which I I guess I hear is pretty cheap. Um, in certain circles, I would imagine. Wow. Um, one of <laughs> my favorite One of my favorite uh, down here is if you go back to divorcenet.com, towards yeah. the bottom you have Second Wives Board, <laughs> which is a uh, – <laughs> looks like it's a forum for the second wives. Now, I really don't know if that's oh, – uh, <laughs> I don't really know if that's um, – <clears throat> They have a First Wives Board too and then a Second Wives Board. Yeah. I think I'm going to be more interested in the Second Wives. <laughs> wow. This is great. Great stuff. So they a real so, mother here. Mm, That's great. Yeah, so they share their feelings on the web, their personal feelings with the world about their divorce. Mm. You know, I'd rather read neapoleon.com personally. Yeah, really. I mean, if I'm going to listen to, you know, people talk about their personal lives, I want it to be Rory. But anyway. This is much more interesting. Him and his dog just keep me fascinated for hours. <laughs> and last but ex- ex- <laughs> really not least... <laughs> We it's have, all right, man. He's a little nervous. Whoa, wait, wait. Okay. Hold on, hold on. Did you read the link here on the left? Child removal issues? Oh, man. Ooh, ouch. Ouch. That sounds so technical. Like, do they have a service where they just come and remove the children <laughs> for you? I mean... <laughs> like down in Florida, some... some oh, jeez. Guys in a van. Hut, 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 hut. <laughs> they come get your child. Like, we'll get, it, we'll, we'll get rid of your children in a half hour or less, it's or it's like free or something like helicopters that? Helicopters and guys repelling out of the chopper. Hut, hut, hut. Coming down to get your child. Will they also bring you breadsticks? <laughs> yeah. I think they charge by the pound. Yeah, they do. It is. It's a pound thing. That's awesome. Oh, man. Well, it really is well, That's awesome. pretty cool. That's insane. Oh. Uh, so uh, so there's another one here. that uh, Which is uh, our favorite. Um, yeah. Do you have a sound clip for that? Oh, yeah, the sound clip. Well, first of all, let's... Let's give you the address so you guys can all uh, <clears throat> play along. www.xsunderground.com forward slash the child e... Uh, that's uh, xsunderground.com forward slash T-H-E-C-H-I-L-D-E. And it, it is, uh, I don't know if this guy is still, you know, eight years old. Anyway, this is what you get when you go to his website. Hello, my future girlfriend. This is what I sound like. I am 11 years old in the sixth grade in New Mexico. Please PM me if I'm on Yahoo Chat. Bye. Thanks for stopping by. Oh, that's creepy. <laughs> oh, my God. Creepy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I love kids. And yeah, they're great. He, uh, you know, he's great, and his HTML is very compact. It's, it's Very compact. It's nice. We should have the child source. removal service come take that kid away. Well, anyway. Move, move, move. <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, he's, he's a good-looking kid. I wonder kid if you can have other people's kids taken away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but come on. i got to hear that one more time. I know a creepy eight-year-old who needs to be removed. Hello, my girlfriend. This is what I sound like. Oh, my God. I am 11 years old in the sixth grade You're gonna have to in New Mexico. Please PM me if I'm on Yahoo Chat. Bye. 
Thanks for stopping by. Oh, I'm not going to sleep well at all tonight. <laughs> Bye. Thanks what can for you... stopping oh, by. God, that's, that's insanely creepy. Please, 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 please be my friend. Where'd you find Kirk, Carl? <laughs> he was in my class this week. I came in off the street, and uh, I heard the food was fantastic in, in his classes. You well, know. anyway, that concludes the uh, the Weird Wide Web. Kirk, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you for having me. Utterly amazing. Horrible. Horrible. Obviously, you need security in your life. That's it. Yeah, really. Security from weirdness. <laughs> yeah. So I like I like that I like that segment. I like it because it's funny and also because it means let's work for me because I don't have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> there's another weirdo in town. Well, anyway, there's too much weirdness out there for us to possibly cover, so we have to take bits and pieces when we can. So we're talking about security with Don Kiley and in in particular programming under least privilege. And we just started getting into the issues with uh, programming in Visual Studio, in particular ASP.NET as a user and a debugger user and a VSNet user. Excuse me. We'll edit that burp out. Ah. And uh, in the, uh, in the uh, chat room, they're saying clamp, 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 <laughs> clampity clamp. No, clamp. no. Oh, that was Roy. <laughs> oh, jeepers. Yes, that was an 11-year-old. It was not Michael Jackson. Okay? So, God, I always learned so much on .NET Rocks. I know. It's quality education. Yes, know? it is. It is. So you can't get this anywhere else, folks. <laughs> so we were talking a little bit about SQL. And I don't know about you, but do you? Um, what is your preference in developing? Now, now, first of all, let me just tell people what the best practice is. And this comes right out of Microsoft for developing with SQL Server. First of all, use the SA account only to create databases. Use the DBO account to work with databases, create store procedures, schemas, uh, tables, all of that stuff, indexes. And then create a lockdown account that only has access to the store procedures, and that's what you access your uh, store procs with in your application. That sounds good to you, right? Yeah, which, of course, assumes that you're using stored procedures. And it also assumes that you're using uh, SQL security. Correct. What about integrated security? I mean, how does that work with least privilege? Well, it, it can work with least privilege, but generally what I've found is is that for most applications, that at least that I write for, for clients, maybe it's an Alaska thing, is that um, uh, the, the user doesn't really have permissions on SQL Server, nor do you want that, even through a, through a group. So more often than not, I'm, I'm creating an application user. And so you can set up a, a, a user, a, a domain network user, assuming that you're going across the network to, to get stuff, and give privileges across the, to the SQL server, and then uh, log in that way. Um, that's one way of doing it. But even though Microsoft recommends for, that you use Windows integrated uh, security for SQL server, you know, it, it just is, is works so much better to just be able to use SQL Server login and, and then be able to access it uh, and still take advantage of video.net uh, connection pooling. So more often than not, I'm using um, the mixed security and yeah. definitely not using the SA password or SA user. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, so as a practical matter, 
in order to, to develop under lease privilege, you need to be able to access that SQL server. And again, there's some, some issues with, with uh, Visual Studio. Um, but uh, so you, you as a user will need access to that, that server. And right. so for development purposes, you can have an account on that server as you. Um, that's fine. But then still, you're going to need an account in order to and that your application is going to run under. And there's just a lot of different ways of doing that. You know, it depends on the on the uh, particular application. But yeah. I definitely favor doing a, a user, um, an application user. Okay. Now, um, what are the have you have you played with UConn at all? Yeah. What are are there any security enhancements that uh, we need to be aware of uh, in UConn? Yeah. Um, what about all kinds. yeah? What about uh, creating those procedures? I mean, the extended sort procedures in VBNet or C sharp. Does that require a special privilege? Yeah, um, in the in the builds that I've played with, um, it requires full trust. Um, that the okay. the assembly that you run requires full trust, um, because conceivably your code can go out and do various other things. Right. So, um, and which is not really unusual. That's how if you create uh, Visual Studio tools for Office um, applications, um, those have to have full trust as well. Um, there's no way to get around it because um, Office. 2003 explicitly checks to see if that uh, assembly has full trust and will not load and run it if it doesn't uh, if it does if it does not have full trust. Okay. So, which is I don't know if you want to get off into that tangent, but that's sure. sort of a fascinating um, sort of just set of, of reasons why that all came about. And uh, Peter Tor is the person at Microsoft who was responsible for all the all those decisions. Mm-hmm. And um, I did a session about this in the cabanas at, at TechEd and um, in the weeks leading up to TechEd, um, was bashing my head against the wall just to, to sort it all out and try to figure out the why behind some of those things. Okay. Um, but essentially what it gets down to is that when you have a doc- document-centric application, so you have a, a PowerPoint presentation or a Word document or Excel document, mm-hmm. then um, the idea is that you want to be able to copy that document along with any assemblies that it needs for the, the um, uh, to run to implement what are essentially macros behind the document right. to be able to, to deploy that to different environments. Because yeah. that code can potentially do anything through the, the office uh, object model, it requires full trust because if it doesn't have full trust, then office cannot trust that code because it can do, it can do so much damage. That's a little bit of, of, background, of backward logic. But what it means is that if you are going to run code, .NET code, behind an Office 2003 document, you need to explicitly fully trust that code because there is nothing in Office that can limit what that code does through the object model. Hopefully I said it better that second time. Yeah. And if you don't understand what we're talking about, listen to the show with Robert Green, in which he talked about the Visual Studio tools for Office. And uh, the main gist of that is that you use Word and Excel as a user interface for your code and your business objects. And the issue is that you want to distribute the document but not put the code in the document because if there's a change to the code, you have to redistribute the document, which may have changed at the source. So you want to put the code in an assembly in a DLL on the network somewhere, and that requires... Security and you're saying in order for that code to run, it has to be running in full trust, right? Because 
essentially the office itself needs to know that that code, you explicitly fully trust that code because it's accessing so many parts of, it can access anything. Hmm. Yeah. And so Peter Tor actually has a, a, a couple of, of great blog entries about it. I'm looking at the, trying to grab the URL to that. Hmm. What it, it, hmm. Is that going to work in the real world, giving, requiring full trust for those documents? Is that going to create other security holes and problems? Well, potentially. Um, but the idea here is, is that if you deploy a .NET assembly then, and install it on the local machine, it inherently has full trust by default, um, which means that if you yeah. install it from the CD or if uh, an administrator installs it or so forth, then it, has, has, it must have full trust for Office to, uh, to use it and run. It sounds like we're, we're back to the, uh, the strong name solution. Right where you have where you sign right. the assembly with a strong name, a strong name that you use for all your assemblies, and you have a policy on the clients that allows uh, all assemblies with that strong name to, f- uh, to run in full trust or at Correct. least to modify. And, and that's fine. There, you can use any kind of evidence to grant to get it to full trust. Sure. Um, if it, you know if it's if you're loading it from the internet and it has the proper strong name, you could grant full trust to it. Um, there's various yeah. ways, various kinds of evidence that you can use for that. Um, but so, and, and again, Office explicitly checks to make sure that it has full trust and will not run it if it doesn't. Yeah. Um, but I, I put on the, the blog, or at least the archive for Peter Tor, it's weblogs.sp.net slash ptor, P-T-O-R-R slash archive. And, uh, and he talks about the agonizing decision to make. Essentially, it's, it's, the problem is, is that um, Office is still a COM-based application. It's running with VBA, and, and it's, it's built on COM. There's little bits and pieces of it that are, that are .NET, but it's still COM. So it's using its existing security system. And yet, it, and what they had to do was they had to do a, a meld between code access security and the COM-based security, which is essentially just role-based. And yeah. so he talks about in his blog some of the, the agonizing decisions over months and months and months that they, they made and how they implemented that. And going back and forth, well, should we try and make code access security comply with, with VBA, and that wasn't going to work. And so they came up with this, this happy medium, essentially. Huh. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little bit frustrating. Um, but th- this all came about because of Yukon. And, and again, on the builds that I've, I've looked at so far, um, they've required the, the full trust as well. God, what an incredibly complex uh, just set of events that have led up to this. You know? It really is. It really is. There's uh, the backward compatibility thing is something that people don't give Microsoft enough credit for having to deal with. But when you're the 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 popular operating system in the world, you have to you can't abandon your customers from version to version, or else they'll stop using your software, and your applications will stop running. Nobody will buy software because it won't have any life, and uh, they have to they have to support the old stuff. For so long, and, yeah, and uh, and I I certainly applaud Microsoft for for making that break with .NET, particularly with Visual Basic .NET. Yeah, um, yes. You know, unfortunately, they're kind of even before its initial release back in 2002, um, they kind of backed a little bit and put some things back in, and, and some stuff is making it back into to Whidbey as well. Right. But uh, uh, but overall, you know, go ahead and ba- Visual Basic was screaming for breaking backward compatibility. Yeah, yeah, it was. But I know SQL Server is a whole different thing server application, and, and I know a lot of system admins are, are not even quite sure, haven't figured out yet, what the benefit of having .NET in, in UConn is. Yeah. 
that is anyway. Yeah, that's uh, a lot of them are scared. I know that. Um, I met a lot of very savvy DBAs that are embracing it. In fact, I'm going to be training a bunch of DBAs on .NET just so that they know what they're getting into here when UConn comes around and they have a little bit more understanding of what their developers are going to be doing in their database. But, uh, but yeah, if I, so I've met them, and then I also know a lot of DBAs who, I mean, I'm at user groups and stuff who are just freaking out. You know, they're not coders. They're DBAs. They have their, and they have their realm, and they are very mm. protective. And, uh, you know, somebody's going to be writing code in there, doing God knows what, and having this permission and that permission. And, yeah. And I think Bill Vaughn said it best, too, when he said, you know, the the Yukon is not does not mean that you can now rewrite your store procedures in VB. Right. What it means is that you can write extended store procedures, right. extended store procedures in a language, and those are typically things that don't, you know, do the things that store procedures do now. They do extra things like sending email and that kind of stuff. And, and through SQL Server 2000, you have to write um, extended store procedures in C++. Right. Which means that you have complete, I mean, a C++ application is inherently a full trust application anyway. Yeah. Even if it's, I mean, particularly if it's, if it's unmanaged code. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's really not, from that perspective, it's nothing that's really all that dramatically different. Um, Kirk wants to know, what about a web service? What do you mean by that, Kirk? Um. I'm sorry, I didn't catch the earlier program when you guys talked about putting code inside of office objects, but thinking about security, would it be a smart you know, thing to do to be putting in just minimal calling of a web service behind the document and then putting all of your big business logic that you're afraid of changing or that would have a, the ability to change more frequently on, on a web server, even if it's inside the firewall? That's a great idea. And you still and you still have the security issues around the web service, but at least if it's inside the firewall, you have more control, right? And, and certainly, WYSI uh, 2.0 has has really expanded the capabilities of making web services. Sure, that's kind of changed the landscape as far as that goes. Yeah, yeah, good point. But so, you know, it, it's all this really underscores that that um, developers from here on in really, really need to know security. At least a very, very minimal amount, um, because attackers are getting more and more clever, and you can't just stick your head in the sand, um, deploy your applications as full trust, even on a on a inter- on an internet behind a, a firewall, because you're going to have problems. Because administrators more and more are locking down permissions, and, and uh, users are not able to run as as with admin privileges. Yeah. And so that you know that that's in fact that's one of the biggest messages of developing with least privileges is that. You know, you really need to know the problems that your users are going to have, with particularly with your app, but with all apps, and then to avoid that pain for them. Don, have you seen uh, uh, Dan Appleman's tool, the Cast Tester? Yeah, I've used it. Is Very it, cool. Tell us about that. Well, what it does is it essentially um, checks your code for the permissions that it uh, uh, that it requires. And the way it does it is is really pretty cool. I know he's working on an, on an update that I I don't know if that's released yet or not, but um, just the original version. What it essentially does is it runs your code or runs an assembly, and one by one removes permissions, and then looks to see that if that code doesn't have a particular permission, say to write to a particular file directory or anywhere, say on 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 the C drive, um, that permission is withheld. 
what happens in your code. Does it, does it throw an unhandled exception? Does it uh, um, handle it gracefully? What does it do? And so what it does is, is it's sort of an after-the-fact kind, of kind of testing tool to be able to check and see that your application can run in a partially trusted environment. And that, in fact, is, is a term I haven't used yet, but uh, the goal here is to be able to write partially trusted applications. Okay. And so if, if your application is, you write it assuming it's getting full trust, it's deployed and the administrator or the, um, on, in the, uh, local, for the local machine or the local network does not grant it full trust, grants it some lower level of trust, what's going to happen to your code? Is it just going to choke and throw up an unhandled exception or is it going to do something gracefully? Got a couple of questions here uh, from the from the website. Uh, Syntask asks, ask boy, that's a mouthful. Syntask, boy, I can't even say that. <laughs> Syntask asks. Syntask asks. How's that? Uh, if you if you don't mind plugging VS Live, which I don't, of course, could you ask Don if he will discuss code access security in VS two thousand five, and what is different than VS two thousand three? I'm thinking about heading down to Orlando, but on the fence. Could be a place to have an informal DNR gathering, which I've been talking about throwing a party. Oh, really? But, uh, oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So what do, what do you think? Um, well, there, essentially it gets a little bit harder, but then in some ways and a whole lot easier. Um, there are some things that are changing with code access security. One of my favorites is that um, the the .NET 2.0 team is toying with, I haven't heard that they've made a final decision yet, they hadn't as of, of TechEd, um, about uh, turning off the ability using the, the command line CASPOL tool, um, removing the ability to turn off code access security. Did you know you, you can turn it off, you can just run a command line tool, requires administrative uh, no, permissions, but you can actually on a local machine turn off code access security. Oh, well, that's the best solution of all, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, that really makes it easy. <laughs> it's kind of like turn, turning off debugger warnings, you know, yeah, in the compiler, right. the compiler warnings, you know. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a way bugs. around uh, coding problems. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so they're looking at, at um, tightening up things like that. Um, but they're also going to be including a uh, tool I haven't seen yet or played with yet, but uh, that will analyze an assembly and give you a list of all of the permissions that are required to run that assembly. Hmm. Um, I don't know how good it's going to be because I, I, well, if if it's just going to look at the metadata for declarative security, that will be useful, but it's not the whole picture because you know you can have both declarative and programmatic code access security. Right. Declarative is actually in the metadata for the assembly. Yep. Programmatic is actually in your code and, and is, is only happens when the code runs. Um, so I don't know how good it's going to be as, as, um, in that regard. Interesting. So there are going to be some additional tools. Um, I know they're building in some additional debugger features um, that are going to uh, make it easier as well. Okay. So uh, you know, it's, it's definitely as, as Microsoft really gets more and more committed, learns more and more about how people are doing uh, .NET uh, code, they're, they're getting a lot smarter about providing us the tools to make it okay. more feasible. Cool. Dan uh, Crawless from the from here, he's in the room, he says, after you rename your admin account from earlier, uh, make sure you make a fake account called administrator with no privileges and uh, and turn on auditing, right? So you can yeah. give hackers something to do, and then you can watch to see who's trying to hack into you. Right. Particularly um, important on servers. Yeah, that, that's a great point. The other thing, too, is, is that you should also... Um, uh, Remove the administrative description. You know, each each yeah, uh, login has a description, right. so you can get access and tell that that your you know, Fred 
is actually the administrative account if you don't change the description. And uh, Todd Stewart from Illinois says, uh, "Is and hey, Todd, how you doing, man? Bud Mine, who took a class a long time ago. Is it possible to run as a limited user when you're logged into a company domain? Are there any other issues that come into play when you're running on a domain and are only a member of that user's group? Yes. Um, it doesn't really change that much when you're a member of, of a domain because um, it's still a matter of what you're able to do. Now, mm-hmm. the, the hardest part of that is to, it, it really depends on what kind of resources that you need access to. If a particular resource, say a particular server, is only accessible to members of the admin group, then unless you can change that, you're going to need to be a member of the admin group. But what you can still do is you can still have a couple different users, logins that you use. One is a domain um, account that, that is a member of the admin group, and another is, is a regular user group where you don't have access. Right. Um, okay. as, as kind of expanding on that a little bit, too, um, you don't have to have a least privilege account on every machine. So, for example, I have a web server that the only time I log into it is to do server kind of admin sort of stuff. Right. So I, just, I log in as my regular user, but I have admin rights, but I don't stay logged in you when I'm done the web. <laughs> doing whatever. Yeah. 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 So I don't need to set up a least privileges account on that machine. for. All right. And to follow up, uh, Syntask says, <laughs> also, how will uh, Visual Studio 2005 better prepare us for CAS in Longhorn? Hmm. I don't know. Um, Do we know anything about CAS and Longhorn, Code Access Security? Well, a little bit. I know about the, the, the changes that are coming in Longhorn as far as, as the underlying security, but okay. not how it's going to be exposed through 2005. And part of the problem, of course, is that Longhorn isn't going to be out until 2006. Right. Um, Whitby's going to be out sometime next year, probably. Um, so I don't know how. It, so it's actually Orcus, which is the, the next version of Visual Studio after Whitby, that is, is going to have to deal with that. Is that going to be a? In, I don't know anything about. Uh, well, I do, but I can't say. But is Orcus going to be a Longhorn product, or is that now looking? Maybe Rory can answer this now because he's yeah, Rory. Mr. Microsoft, and they had a big announcement today. Is Orcus going to be uh, XP now? Do we know that? Um, I don't actually know. I, I would be I would be surprised That's if there weren't. Answer. I th- you know they had they they have that whole scheme set up yeah. where um. You can run in, you can run your Longhorn applications in that sort of scaled down mode where they're not what we call turned on. Yeah. And then if you're actually running under Longhorn, and if you have a box that can handle it, you can run it in turned on mode or whatever it is. Um, I forget it. Or or is it light up? It's something like that that mm-hmm. indicates that you get all the bells and whistles. Are you talking and about the if they're going to be bringing Avalon, what time? What'd you say, Rory? Are you talking about the protected administrator? No, no, I'm I'm oh. I'm actually talking about um the whole Arrow experience where you might have some advanced UI features or programming features that will only work under Longhorn. So you can have an app that'll work oh. under Windows XP and an app that'll work under Longhorn. And when you have a machine that's running Longhorn and that's capable of turning on these extra features, they call it lighting up. I think lighting up on Longhorn. It's oh, something okay. like that. That's cool. And uh, and and so there's a possibility, and I don't know anything about this, there, but I'm guessing there's a possibility that. Uh, the new version of Visual Studio might run on XP or Windows 2003, especially if they do really move Avalon to XP in 2003. That would be my guess, because I don't see what else would be stopping it. But Yeah, and the problem is, that, yeah. of course, is that they're also um, nixing a bunch of features. There have been, I assume everyone's aware, there's been a bunch of, of announcements about Longhorn uh, this week. Right. And uh, 
So Longhorn is still a moving target. You know, the central feature set is 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 definitely not set. But the, but the idea is that Whidbey was tied to Yukon and uh, SQL Server 2005, and Orcas was tied to Longhorn. Okay. So I haven't heard anything this this week in light of all the announcements that anything has changed in that. But. So let me just bring us back to uh, to security. That, uh, Dan uh, also says, and there's that dumb thing called physical security, the web server you keep in the broom closet. So you can never say to say that too many times and that, you know, the biggest security threats are not electronic, they're physical. And uh, by giving people access and not but giving people access, you know, you run the risk of uh, having problems. Uh, I have my web server on the front counter in, in uh, the office lobby. <laughs> cool, cool. <laughs> and also a quote from Pat Hines, security is a game that evolves, and if you can get ahead of the next evolutionary turn, you can prevent unpleasant surprises, and that's so true. And that's that's really what we're talking a lot about here. Um, you need to protect against the known sorts of attacks, and and this is a big problem that that Microsoft has had. You know, they're obviously a big target, and people are constantly coming up with things that you know, three months ago, much less three days ago, you know, nobody had ever thought of conceived were, was a possible way to attack a, a computer software. And so right. now all of a sudden, everyone has to scramble to, to, to you know, close down that hole. Yeah. So it's, it's really hard. And uh, another question from David Foster uh, from Sydney, Australia, uh, Bridgeport in Sydney, Australia. He says, if you write a data access DLL which sits on the DB server, uh, this communicates with the DB via a specific SQL account. The business logic DLL residing anywhere, communicating with the data access DLL via Complus or web services, and the UI communicates with the business layer. This solves many of the security issues. You can even implement a security encryption layer between each of the layers. Uh, won't this solve most of the security issues? Wait, read that again? He say, he's saying uh, the scenario he's talking about is writing a data access DLL, which sits on the DB server, communicating with the database via a specific SQL account. Then the business logic DLL resides somewhere, communicating with the data access DLL via either Complus or web services. And the UI communicates with the business layer, solves many of the security issues. Um, well, well, security well, it can also raise a lot of security issues. It as sure well. can. Yeah, I mean, th- there's a lot of missing pieces to that, Dave. Maybe you could qualify, uh, or you know, that you know w- what what it, what accounts you know who has access to those DLLs, who has access to the web services. Uh, yeah, one of the things I love doing is is to go in someplace that that where they've really thought about security and and uh, um, have tried to, to architect a multi-tier application that that works and is is secure. And you know, I'll just go in and, and uh, uh, create a new project and load up an assembly and just start calling methods on that assembly, which goes yeah. in and gets the particular data. Because even though the data access layer they've made very secure, they haven't done anything to secure the, for example, the, the business objects that have a secure relationship with the data access layer, but the business object is not checking on the principle as well. Yeah. Or you can go in directly to the business or the, the data access layer and, and uh, get access to it as well. So it's really, uh, uh, has to, you have to think through security at every, um, every tier within that application. And, uh, and that's really hard. And in fact, that's probably the hardest thing about uh, multi-tier applications. You know, they're great and they're, they have all the scalability stuff and all, but you have to be really careful to, to make all those pieces fit right. Yeah. So uh, what is the single most 
what is the single easiest thing that a Visual Studio developer can do today to uh, reduce the uh, potential for uh, being attacked while developing? I guess is this a <laughs> is this a problem? You know, you're you're running as administrator and all of, you're writing some code, and all of a sudden, you know, you see pop up ads. Uh, well, that's part of it, and and uh, somebody earlier in the show was mentioning that they've they've never actually been uh, you know no have have been attacked while running as administrator. It's really it's let's talk let's talk the truth here. It's really the browser, right? Isn't well, it the browser that introduces? Browser. Yeah, yeah. The browser introduces opportunities for scripts to run, and right, right. right. And but you know, as a practical matter, there's there's also you know a firewall is is I think a, a false sense of security. Because too many okay. firewalls are configured with open ports that uh, um, can be probed and, and uh, uh, messed with. Yeah. So there's things like that. Right. Um, you know, so you can get. And I'm not a system admin, so I don't know the ins and outs of, of you know real strong firewall configuration. But um, you know, a firewall can have holes in it as, as well. So you may think, well, I'm behind a firewall, so I'm just working with with uh, servers on on the you know behind the firewall, so I'm protected. But that's not necessarily true. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of scary sometimes when uh, you go to some of the uh, sites like, uh, what's the one guy's, um, Gibson? Spinrite. Who's the guy who did Spinrite? Spinrite. That wasn't the DVD rewinder, was it? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the security tools. Um, but oh, uh, sure. um, there's various uh, online tools that will um, probe any IP addresses or, or locations that you uh you specify, and we'll tell you about um, uh, vulnerabilities. Is that Spinrite? S P I N R I T E. Yeah. Okay. Any other tools uh, out there that you want to recommend while we're at it? Well, I can't strictly speaking rec- recommend this one, but I've looked at uh, um, looked at it and downloaded it and, and all. But there's a Neo Exec Professional, and the uh, URL is www.neovalens.com. And what it is, it's an operating system extension for Windows 2000 XP um, that let you set privileges at the application level rather than the user level. Hmm. It's a little bit like what's coming in Longhorn, um, so that the idea being that I can run as either a user or a, or an admin and an application, even if I'm running with, with particular privileges, I can run with different privileges for the purpose of that particular. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And that sort of saves you a click with run as, right? Right, right. It's, it's basically eliminating all those tips and tricks that you need to know to get around the problem. That's cool. How much is that? Do you know? Um, it's a couple hundred bucks, but they have a thing where it's free for home users for up to five computers. Oh, that's oh, great. It's, no, it's, no, it's not. It's, it's 25 euros. <laughs> I don't know how much 25 euros is, but yeah. So even a, a single user license is pretty good. Uh, well, definitely. I know some people who are going to buy that right now. But again, I, I have not installed it and played with it. I've looked at the, the specs, and it looks really cool. Cool. So, um, there's another, a couple other things um, that, just to make it easier for coping with, with uh, least privilege, this internals, um, have you played with their Process Explorer? It's essentially a replacement for Task Manager. No, I haven't. Um, it's, it's really nice. It even has an option to replace Task Manager. So if you go and control it to lead, or if you right-click on the, on the taskbar, um, it'll pop up Process Explorer instead. There's a, uh, um, an additional column that you can add to it that, uh, for the username, and it'll tell you the username under which um, the login under which that process is executing. 
Oh, so nice. that's really nice. So you can tell and, nice. and see exactly well, what wait a minute. happened. Don't you already see the account that is running the process in Task Manager? Uh, I haven't looked in a while. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking right now. Oh, okay. The username is there. Um, but it has a lot of additional features as well. Okay. Um, but a couple other things is uh, uh, FileMon, and, and these are all free tools, FileMon right. and RegMon. FileMon, very, very cool. Yeah. We'll yeah. tell you exactly what process has, uh, um, uh, has ownership of a file. Right. That's very cool because if, especially when, you know, every once in a while programs will, your, you know, your computer will freeze up and some thread is going nuts and trying to access some file somewhere. It's very nice to find out. Also, uh, I've debugged weirder problems with FileMon um, that were just outside of the scope of my application, trying to find out, you know, which, if ASP.NET is trying to access a file or if, uh, you know, SQL Server or whatever, where is the problem? And it, it's been an invaluable tool for me. Um, real quick, David Foster qualifies the question. He says, I realize a lot of detail is missing. I think the initial design spec ran to 20 uh, to 12, uh, 124 pages, which included all the items you mentioned plus many others. So, all right, well, whatever. And hopefully 110 of those were, were security requirements. Yeah. So, Don, is there any uh, last-minute words of wisdom you want to impart on our listening audience before saying sayonara? Oh, man, go with least privilege, get over the initial hump. It'll be frustrating for the first couple of days, but uh, it is so worth it. And as a, from a developer standpoint, you will end up with more secure software. You have my word. Very good. Well, I'll, I'll give it a shot just for you, man. Cool. And uh, thanks a lot. We're going to let you go now, and, and uh, we're going to call Richard, uh, who's on a boat somewhere in Seattle. <laughs> oh, he's out sailing? Yeah, no, he's at the, uh, at the conference at Microsoft in uh -huh. Redmond, the, uh, the Evangelism Rhythms uh, sessions, and they're out on a party on a boat. And so we're going to call him on his cell phone. So uh, we'll, we'll talk to you later, Don. Okay, great. Thanks. Take care. Great Thanks. show. Bye. Excellent. Talk to you later. Bye. Yeah. You there? Hey, is that Carl? Yes, it is. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, buddy. We're out in Lake Union. We just went past uh, Bill Gates' house like a half an hour ago. All right. I'm here with, uh, well, 250 of my closest friends, actually. A bunch of RDs and the developer evangelists. We were out in, uh, in Redmond for the uh, Evangelist Airlift. I'm standing right beside Eileen Crane, the head of the RD program right now. Hey, put her on. Oh, you want to say hi to Eileen? Yeah, we want to Hang say on hi. One, one sec. Carl Franklin. Carl Franklin, how are you? Hey, how are you doing? Good. We're out on Lake Union enjoying a lovely evening with regional directors and Microsoft employees. Oh, I wish I was there. I really do. Sounds I like wish you're you were here. I know. Next Next time. Next time I'll have to uh, tell my students to, to, to move to another week or something. Please, or just bring them along. That Hey, that would be great. Yes, that would so, be preferable. I heard you guys had a great uh, meeting there. We did. We had a great jam-packed four days of, of fun and learning. How's that? Awesome. Yeah, well, and would... this is the, the end night. <laughs> well, while you were having fun on a boat, we were looking at websites of weird 11-year-old kids who are looking for girlfriends and... Uh, and you know other other kinds of strange things, but uh, put Richard back on. We're, I guess he's going to try to talk about us uh, some weird toys that uh, you guys have. Excellent. On the show. Have fun. All right. Thanks. We'll see you. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. 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 Maybe maybe we could ask the other two hundred and fifty people to be hey, quiet for a minute. Yeah. Really. <laughs> this place so, is crazy. So yeah, it is crazy. So I guess the 
Richard, the hey, toy Rich, boy. Could you tell those a- people to shut up? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'll try and move to a quiet area. But you know, I've been out looking for toys on what? the boat. No, no. Because you get this many. Push those together, people you find off a lot the of boat. <laughs> and I think I've got the best. Direct toy them of the off the right boat. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Let him talk. Extend What's the that? plank and push him off the boat. <laughs> I'm sorry, okay. R- Richard Roy was talking over you. Go ahead. That's all right. Now I just I'm just sitting down here with a couple of fellows. It's Henrik. Henrik, you're from Denmark, aren't you? Denmark. That's right. And Don's from Norway. They're both regional directors. Yo. And I get this. Look at this. This is what I got in front of me right now. I've got a Sony Ericsson cell phone. It's got the .NET Rocks web page open on it right now. <laughs> Takes a nice picture of Carl. That's a good one. Is this yours, Henrik? No, Don. <laughs> John, you are the toy king of this boat, because you rock, because what you've got in front of me right here is the Canon 10D camera, the digital SLR, and I'm not just talking about a basic 10D. The guy's got every toy uh, you could think of. He's got the base unit on with the extra batteries. He's got an extended lens on it. Like, this is over the top. It's fabulous. Now, this is a camera, or is it a cell phone, or what? This is the camera. This is the digital SLR. Remember we last week we talked about the 20D? Oh, yeah, well, yeah. this is its precursor. This is the 10D. Don does not very happy that the 20D exists. You're spending all this money on the 10D. Okay. But here it is. And, it's, I, and I think, Don, you win hands down, man. You're the man. This is the best toy on the boat. I checked it all <laughs> out. And uh, this is the one. This True. is the toy. Goes for about 700 bucks, apparently. Uh, no, well, with all the features on it, I think you probably spent more than that. You have any idea what you spent on it? This, for the camera? Yeah, $1,800. $1,800? Oh, wow. Yeah, with the extra lenses, it's got the base unit on it. Gigabyte uh, flash card, got to have it now. Although they got, they're making four gigs now, if you don't care how much money you spend. <laughs> so is that, anyway, is that the, uh, did you find any other great toys on the boat? I've been talking to a lot of folks, you know, and. I just can't go with the cell phones and the basic cameras and stuff. Not when we got a 10D on there. But I ran into Michelle Bustamente. Oh, cool. And Michelle, if I could only find her, I'm going to go into the really noisy area now where they're all up here partying and music and stuff. And I don't think... Get her drunk and have her tell us a joke. Ah, I found her. Now you got to... <laughs> You're watching the belly dancers. <laughs> let me talk to her. Let me talk to her. party. But he, I'm going to let Michelle tell the story of this toy. you, you got to okay. hear about the story. It's right, amazing. Cool. What's the toy? The toy? My toy? The compact compact, yes. Hello? Oh, God. <laughs> I can barely hear you, so I guess I'm just going to talk until I shut up. Hey, can you hear um, me now? What's that? Can you hear me now? Can you I hear can me hear now? I can hear you now. Good. How are you? Are you the Verizon guy? No, no, no. I play one on the radio, though. Okay, okay, good. Yeah, I can hear you great. All right, what's so, up? You, uh, you want to hear about the toy? Yeah, please. Okay, so the thing is, is my theory is there's a lot of new women in technology these days, right? And I've been around since, you know, I don't know, 92, right? You know me, Carl. Yeah, I met yeah, you a long time ago. Sure. And uh, I have this problem. I'm, uh, you know, I've been working really hard for about 12 years, and my husband says, you know, that's it. We're going on a vacation to Italy, and you can't bring your laptop. Huh. And I'm a little concerned about how I'm going to keep up with all that spam that I like to answer. So <laughs> I was thinking uh, about a new device I need. And uh, this device has a dual purpose. What it's going to be is the, uh, 
pocket PC compact. And, uh, you know, he'll think I'm checking my makeup, powdering my nose, whatever. Pocket and then when he's not PC looking, I flip compact? the thing up and it's a friggin' Blackberry underneath, you know? Oh, my God. And What's I the... can blog and I can check my email. I can do everything I need to do. And when he says, hey, what are you doing? I flip it downstairs. I'm just checking my makeup, you know? I what? mean, what does he think? What is this device? So it's a way that I can bring it on the plane, you know, stick it in my purse, bring it out to dinners. And when he's not looking, I'll get to keep up with all my work. What do you think about that? That's awesome. What's the name of it? We're going to look it up on Google. Okay, and if nobody's making it, then remember, I said it here first. It's on radio, and uh, I need a cut of that profit. Oh, oh, so it doesn't exist. This is an idea. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, well, I think that's awesome. Oh, no, it doesn't exist. I just made it up. Well, somebody's going to steal And I think your... it needs to happen. <laughs> it won't be long before somebody does that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And that's in the awesome. meantime, we're watching a belly dancer over here, which is pretty interesting because that's not easy to do. Can Can you go dance with her and have uh, Richard hold the phone? All right, I'll I'll get him to comment. See you guys later. Okay. Is that a great toy or what? So is she going to dance with the belly dancer now, or? No, nah, she's uh, a dance with the belly dancer, but I think Forte's headed in that direction. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me now, at all. I got a couple more comments to put on before we're done yet. Okay. Yeah, it's Toy Boy time. I just found Kim Tripp. Oh, I got to no. tell you, I've been spending some time with Kim Tripp this week because we've been out down here in Seattle, and she truly is the gadget girl. All right, okay? let's hear it. I'm not kidding. I'll tell you the two most over-the-top toys that Kim Tripp owns. The first one is in her truck. When she puts it in reverse, little camera flips on right on the license plate so you can see out behind her. She calls it the dodge, the doggy dodger. Oh, that's great. You don't run okay. over the tricycles that way, too. That's right. But the most over-the-top toy, let me tell you, the most over-the-top toy that Kim trips on is her fireplace. Her she fireplace? She has a remote control for her fireplace, which is pretty geeky all by itself. Control, but control. you set the temperature on the remote control, and it adjusts the fireplace on the fly. You know, that's not so a you fireplace, want the though. If 80 degrees, it'll keep changing its temperature on the fireplace so it stays right. You know, you, you guys on the West Coast, you don't have real fireplace. You have gas fireplaces. Oh, they are gas fireplaces, Which is not all. a we fireplace. We do live in civilized lands around here. Yeah, that's a bar- That's an indoor barbecue. That's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, only only if you do something terribly wrong with it. <laughs> that is pretty anyway, cool, though. So, we had a good time out here, and uh, I want to put a little shout-out to John Box, who's been hassling me all week about doing DNR from Seattle. <laughs> okay. Uh, but beyond that, I think that's all I got for this week. That's excellent, man. And, uh, all with, right, guys. With that, we're going to let you go. That was Richard the Toy Boy. Hey, did .NET rock? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Hey guys. Bye. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks, wow. Jeff. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> <laughs> kind of wish I had gone to that. Oh, well. Well, Rory, that brings us to the end of another awesome show. And, uh, geez, a lot of things happening this week. Very exciting week. And I liked it. I liked the Don Kylie stuff. He's good. Security. Yeah. Security. Good topic. Timely. Okay, well, I don't know what to say, so I guess we'll just end the show. Well, thanks, you guys. <laughs> okay. Good luck. Th- congratulations to Bill and, you know, uh, everybody who took part in the contest, and congratulations, and thanks to Microsoft. And on behalf of me, Rory Blythe, Jeff Maciolik, Kirk, Arthur, Dan, all us here. Thanks. We'll see you next week. Time.